Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is a transformative time for black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com blueprints. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up! This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. A new head coach in the Pac-12. And controversy started surrounding it. And there is National Signing Day. Who's winning in the Pac-12? Who's losing? And so much more. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden with John Wilner. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The where? This is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where you get the truth unfiltered, keeping it 100 all the time. You guys can shoot us an email. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Hit us up 818-293-7547. So uh, I guess we will start. Uh, you guys with the news in the Pac-12, new head coach, Oregon has finally found its man in Mr. Dan Lanning, Georgia's defensive coordinator. Um, what do you guys think of the hire? I like it. Uh, we had floated it um, as, as an idea uh, a while back, and I think that he is a very good and ambitious young coach who is a former um, grad assistant of Todd Graham 
uh, at Arizona State University, followed him over from Pitt. He's familiar with the Pac-12. I think he earned his stripes at Sam Houston and Alabama before going to play an integral part in Mike Norvell's Memphis teams and then obviously being put in a situation with uh, with Georgia to be part of a historic defense. And so um, he's young. He is a good recruiter. I don't think that most Oregon fans want to be in the position of having lost Mario Cristobal. But if that's going to happen, I think this is a very decent direction to have gone in. How about you, John? Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I mean, I think that there's uh, it's a risk, pretty high risk, pretty high reward potentially for them. I mean, I don't. Uh, to be honest, I don't know how good a coach he is because he's coaching eleven NFL draft picks, right? So it's it, he's not going to have that uh, that level of talent superiority at, at Oregon. So he's probably he's probably very competent coach uh, defensively, but you know there's a, there's a lot to it. Uh, I think kind of see see how it goes. I do like that he's young and he's going to be hungry, and there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, you know, I don't know how long he's going to stick around. I think that that's certainly uh, something uh, to watch, right? But Oregon fans may not care if he wins enough in two or three years to be coveted by an SEC program. That they may be perfectly satisfied with that. Yeah. And the, the thing that I have heard a lot of and people talk about, like they've used the word Oregon and stepping stone a few, a few times as it related to Willie Taggart and Mario Cristobal. And I kind of bristled at that only because I was like, I thought that Mario Cristobal would have left any school in the country for the Miami job. Because uh, Ralph made a great point on our pod last, uh, like a few weeks ago, where he said that uh, that Cristobal, just like a lot of other coaches around the country, are employees of the university and not that thing, like not the mascot. Like he wasn't a full duck. Like he wasn't a j- just like other coaches aren't full Bruins or or you know Sun Devils or whatever that they are employees of the university and that that and that if they stay long enough, it does infect them and they win enough. They they do become that thing. So I thought that Mario Cristobal had become 15 percent duck, but he was still 85 percent hurricane because he played there, won national championships there. And I thought that he would have left for every other like that he would have left any other school in the country, maybe except for Alabama, but maybe them, too. That's it's I don't know. I don't know, man. It's it's one of those things where it was where he went to high school. He had coached six years there. He was born there. Uh, His Cuban heritage. He uh, met his wife in his coaching stint uh, while out there. And he won two national championships as part of the program. And George, this is one thing you know from your relationship with him. He does not enjoy that Miami is not performing to its full potential. I mean, as Oregon head coach, he was watching Miami frustrated with their performance. Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, how about you, John? Uh, you know, I think that uh, if Oregon can be viewed as a stepping stone job, if your roots are somewhere else, but that would also be the case with with a lot of Pac-12 jobs, right? I mean, we see that kind of thing happen periodically. Uh, for whatever reasons, whether it's the money or personal ties, 
you know, it's, you know, USC to me is the only destination head coaching job in the Pac-12. Yeah, I, and and I can see that on 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 some level, but if you look at, I mean, even o- uh, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma is a blue blood program. People don't leave Oklahoma. People don't leave Notre Dame, <laughs> and both of those schools got left. <laughs> and I think that that's, I mean, LSU got left for Alabama. <laughs> so it, I mean, it's. It's just very interesting, you know, when people, you know, kind of put these narratives about it together at, as it relates to it. But one of the names that was huge in the that started a lot of controversy in the Oregon coaching search was Justin Wilcox. And, John, you floated his name out there for the Washington head job, which we don't know whether he was. I mean, he was interviewed, but not necessarily offered or whether he decided to uh, stay um he was interviewed for the Oregon head coaching job which we can talk about the letter in a minute but um but did you think that that could be a good job for him or that he would be good for the job I mean I I I think it certainly you know for him well the Oregon job for him certainly had 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 to have had some appeal right not enough but I, and I do think he's. I think he's a very good coach, and I think Cal is a brutally difficult job, much tougher than a lot of fans realize. Uh, and his access to players, whether he would have been at, at Oregon or Washington, not only high school recruits but transfers, right? I mean, that's one thing that people overlook a lot. Cal and Stanford have a lot of difficulty with transfers, getting them in school. Uh, I think he would have done well there. I, I think it would have been more of a Will, Whittingham situation where you got a lot of long-term stability and you you just build that way. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Well, see, I I think that that Oregon fans would not have been excited about Justin, and I had questions about Justin. I played with him. I know him. I know his defensive coordinator who I played with as well, Peter Sermon. No, the offensive coordinator, Bill Musgrave, he was my offensive coordinator for a year or two when I was in Jacksonville. So, like, I know all of these people. So it kind of pained me on some level to say some of the things that I did when people asked me my opinion about it. But to go back, so both both of you guys know about the letter that there was 14 Oregon uh, former players, including Marcus Mariota, you know, me, Joey Harrington, Achilles Smith, Royce Freeman, a few other guys, uh, Justin Herbert, all these people, right, who signed a letter uh, saying that we wanted to get Justin an interview, but also wanted to maintain that whoever that we hire is a guy who could potentially stay there for a long time and that we weren't going to hire some outsider who was going to be a mercenary. For me, that looked like a guy like Urban Meyer. Didn't want Urban Meyer. Is he a good football coach? Yeah. But is he the guy that I would want to sign my kid up for to go play? No. But for me, and I know that some different people on the letter had different, you know, perspectives on it. But for me, when my brothers came to me and asked me like, yo, we want to make sure Justin gets an interview. I was like straight up from the beginning because I had already talked to Rob Mullins, the athletic director about it, about my opinions and my thoughts about it. And I was like, yo, like, I think that Justin should get an opportunity to answer questions 
about his about his offense at Cal, which has not been top tier at all, about the about what his vision would be for Oregon and moving and to get to a national championship. And is he going to be willing to be a relentless recruiter? Because like you said, John, like there are limitations at Cal. So. So for for me, I was like, I think that this is a due diligence exercise and they want it. So I'm cool with it. But then it turned into something because of the timing that it came out that that, you know, that ruffled a lot of people's feathers. And I didn't like it as well. So you are a reporter, John, and with that. Obviously, you're oh, well, a journalist and a Heisman voter, all this stuff. So you have to navigate things differently than I do or Ralph does or, you know, other uh, other people do. But in terms of the timing that of if you got that letter, when Canzano did, would you have written the same thing? Or would oh, you yeah. have sat I, on it? I've, no, there's no chance I would have sat on it. I would have, of course, reported it. It's news. I, mean, I wouldn't even be given it thought about it for a, a millisecond. Would you would you had asked the player, is it okay if I run with this after he sent it to you or once he sends it to you, is it fair game? Well, I don't that depends on the agreement you got with the player, you know, that I don't know and I don't know what the specifics were on that. And I don't know who gave it to Kinzano. I have no idea what their interaction was like, but if I had received the letter and the person who sent it to me said it's okay to be published. I would have published it as soon as I could get the thing. As soon as I could hit up. it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know it doesn't matter to me whether the timing is good for Oregon or not. It's news. That makes that makes sense. How 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 about you, Ralph? Because you're a J school guy too. I don't see it. Um, I think the the difference for me is that I didn't really see it as a big deal. So what? Some former players have an opinion about football. I spend all my time talking to you, a former player who's got a bunch of opinions about football. If if the Oregon fan base had an adverse reaction to me publishing this because they want all of the alumni and everybody all swimming in the same direction, then what they should have done is they should have tuned into Spaces, this Twitter Spaces phenomenon to find out, no. Not everybody associated with your program is all swimming in the exact same direction, and that's okay. And I think that it's actually kind of nice that that all of this has sort of come together to let fans know that you don't actually need this unified front. You have an athletic director. It's their job to pick a football hire, and it's everybody else's job to either get with the program or express their opinion about it and move on. I never at any point in all of the Oregon drama understood any of the anxiety around it because at the end of the day, Rob Mullins is going to do what Rob Mullins is going to do. And former players are going to have the opinions that they have. We just have way more access to each other than we've ever had before at any point in human history. My hope is that that access lets people know that it's okay to disagree and that it's not that big of a deal. And you guys all got in that Twitter spaces together. You argued with Akili. Joey Harrington gave his opinion. And I, I thought I thought that it was absolutely fascinating. I don't know if athletic departments are looking at this as a good thing because they put in as much effort as they possibly can to have every morsel that they put out be prepackaged and pretty for the consuming public. Nothing that happened this week with Oregon was pretty or prepackaged. It was all raw and real. I appreciated it. Um and I hope that a lot of fans realize that after all of this, that everything's going to be okay. The world keeps spinning and, and, and life moves on. 
how about the athletic director, Rob Mullins, hopping into the Twitter spaces, John, after he announces the hire to the players via via message and the parents and all of that, and then hopping in the spaces with 2,500 people in there. Like, that is unheard of. Yeah, especially for Rob Mullins, who doesn't even have a Twitter account. Yeah, uh, he hopped but, on his wife's Twitter account. Yeah, he walked in. He, I, I heard him today. He was talking to the Pac-12 Network. He, he got home that day, and his, his wife and kids were listening, and they convinced the kids, I think, convinced him to get on there. So you good for him, right? I mean, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter spaces. It's like uh, I was uh, equated to Twitter's like a sports bar, right? You'll walk in and everybody just starts yelling at you, and you can yell back. <laughs> so I've been, I'm actually been waiting for this opportunity to talk to, to to you about this, John, because notable people making notable statements can build the majority of the the subject matter that that you put together from week to week in twitter spaces when you get like eight notable people all talking at the exact same time about the same subject do you think that's a net positive is it overwhelming for you what's that like on the journalist stand i mean i haven't had a whole lot of experience on twitter spaces to be honest but i mean if people who are could be considered you know public figures athletically or otherwise are on there expressing their opinion you know, it, it certainly could be considered news. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they broke news about the Oregon uh, uh, OC hire was broken in there. There was. But but how about the idea? Because there were so many other, you know, journalists, writers in there. And then you you saw on the back end articles come out with quotes from from the spaces is <laughs> is that is is that fair? I mean, like like I know that that wasn't discussed in J school because it didn't exist. But, but is that fair game to use quotes from that? Because I don't think that there's an expectation of privacy, but there is like this, we, it, it was like a niche community, but as a journalist, you, you probably have to say, wow, this is free, free quotes. I got players in here. He said this, here's what the dad of the player said. Here's what the athletic director said. Here's what, you know, whoever else said, I thought that that part of it was very interesting for, you know, people who write and, you know, and use direct quotes for their, uh, for their job. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's that much different than a, a message board, right? A fan, like on rivals or something, right? I mean, as long as if I'm a journalist, if Rob Mullins hops on a message board on rivals to interact with, with fans there, as long as I'm sure that that's him, you know, that's a public forum. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. I don't see any difference between like Twitter spaces and how like the New Testament was written. Like Jesus was sitting around talking with these people. They asked him this question. He said this back. And then all of a sudden that's scripture. Like, or or even like American history of like people giving speeches to encourage a uh, revolution. Right. You had people there who had a printing press that were able to like say, like, this is what this person said about these people. And this was their call to action. And it's up to you to decide. I I think Twitter spaces is just it's more of the same. But we just have the ability to gather together while sitting at home on our couch. And it's it's been a lot of fun. But I can also see that the direction that things have been moving for years has been journalists electing to participate in the stability of working for an athletic department over the uncertainty of working in the news business. So you're getting a lot of journalists employed directly by schools and sports teams to be able to build and put out narratives that are controlled by schools and sports teams. This is so much the opposite of that. And it's really interesting to see kind of that course correction in the other direction to see where it's going to go from here. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so to kind of put a bow on things, we we have also, in addition to that, we've seen a bunch of coaching hires as as well as people continue to fill out their staffs. But now we're seeing guys who are going to declare for the draft. And we know that this year, the Pac-12 did exactly. Um, how, how would you guys grade the quarterback play in the Pac-12 overall? Like, as the whole conference? Because I would give it a... Overall, as the conference, probably a C minus. That's so generous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you give it? If I had 12 assignments and I only turned in two of them, oh. what is that? Like a 36%? I, two, I give two quarterbacks this year maybe a passing grade. This is a whatever is below an F. I guess everything below 59. No, you no, minus, hold on. Minus, minus, hold on. Minus. You have to give three quarterbacks in the Pac-12 a passing grade. Three. 
D, you're saying DTR, Anthony Brown, and Jaden Delora? Actually, four. Cameron Rising, because I think he he gets a passing grade. Even though he wasn't f- phenomenal, he wasn't a liability. Jaden Delora, DTR, and as much as I didn't necessarily want to do it, Anthony Brown still gets a passing grade. His team won 10 games. Hmm. Even though fans were screaming for his 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 demise. One third is still an F. You don't you wouldn't give Chance Nolan a passing grade? Uh Chance Nolan and passing in the same sentence toward the end of that season. I don't I think he is certainly not on the road. Certainly not on the road. I don't even think he had a hundred yards passing against Arizona State. I think I uh, there are times when Chance Nolan did not lose the games for them, but I don't. I don't think there were very many quarterbacks that were just putting the teams on their back. And even then, you you had appearances of some quarterbacks who might have promise in the future still going out there and losing games, like Jackson Dart. So, yeah, I, I this is the worst I've ever seen it. This is the well, worst I have ever seen it. Yeah, I I think it's a combination of certainly some miscalculations by the coaching staffs in August, right? I mean, Nolan should have been starting for Oregon State all along. Correct. Rising should have been starting for, for Utah all along. McKee. Uh, McKee, absolutely. So I think that there's that's part of it. Injuries played a big part, right? A lot of guys got hurt. Um, and then just the overall, it's so much more difficult to manage the position these days with the comings and goings. Uh but generally speaking, it was you know it was not good. I don't know that you can fairly compare it to last year because last year was so screwy. But I mean, it wasn't as good as 2019, and that wasn't a great year either. Which is it's one of the things that makes Arizona State's decision not to bring Spencer Rattler in when he wanted to go there so fascinating. Because what they're saying is that we 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 believe that the quarterback that's had 15 touchdown passes in his last 16 starts is going to have a better immediate future than the quarterback that has has had 38 touchdown passes in his last 15 starts, and that and and is and is 14 and one, like that is fascinating to me. Um, but it's also cool to see a coaching staff be loyal to his guys and and move forward in that direction. Yeah. And so there are a bunch of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Um, we hear so Queen Quinn Ewers, who is supposed to go to uh, Texas. You have obviously Spencer Rattler going to South Carolina, but there's Cameron Ward, Dylan Great Gabriel, Max Johnson, Zach Gibson, uh, Jacob Zeno, Zach Cal Calzada, Miles. Brennan, so LSU has two quarterbacks in the transfer portal, which is wild, and Keaton Slovis from USC. So are there any of those guys that Pac-12 teams should be should be fawning over and be like, come here, come here, let me love you? Well, as John can tell you, Washington cashed in, right? Oh, yeah, with Michael Penix Jr. From, from Indiana, who is very familiar with Caleb De- De- DeBoer. But now, and so... But I, I guess we'll we'll cover that one in just in just a second because I think that that creates a whole different can of, can of worms. But out of those quarterbacks, should Pac-12 teams be, you know, trying to develop the guys on their roster, or should they be trying to bring some of these guys in? Well, I mean, I think if you're Arizona, uh, you are probably 
if you're Jed Fish, you're driving to LA with like a truck full of tacos and you're going to keep, <laughs> you're going to Keaton Slovis and you're saying, what's it going to take? Well, please, please come here. Right. Uh, some of those other guys, I think I heard Dylan Gabriel's name attached to UCLA potentially. Uh, but you know, it's, Is it's DTR going to leave. Uh, I think he, isn't he going to turn pro? I mean, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if, if I, if he were my kid, I would be urging him to go back to college because, because I think that his trajectory, like he's gotten better every single year. And I think he's real close to being a first round NFL quarterback with one more year in college. We'll see. I mean, it's hard. At some point I would think some of these guys just want to move on. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that the Pac-12 team should absolutely look at some of those guys, right? But you got to balance out with who you got and uh, who you may lose. I mean, it's a very difficult position to manage. Yeah, I think if you are Keaton Slovis, you, you look at the potential of going back home to Arizona to a school that didn't offer you coming out of high school, and you say, can you protect me? Because that's that that's been his biggest issue at USC is he took a lot more hits than I think his body was ready for, and University of Arizona's offensive line is it, it. I mean, it would be a team if they were in the Mountain West. You'd say that they probably didn't have a top six offensive line. So that 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 would be my question. Is I think that that's a really good opportunity to get playing time in. How would you protect me? I think he would be a fantastic match to play under Jonathan Smith or Colorado. I think those are the three schools that should really be considering bringing somebody in. I've heard Arizona State fans say that they want somebody to come in, challenge Jaden, but not necessarily push him off the cliff. You should just any anybody should just want the best available players. And there are a lot of West Coast guys that are in the portal right now looking for a home, whether that's Jack Miller or Chubba Purdy, who I think will probably end up at, at, at Pitt. But the thing with a guy like Chubba Purdy is only two Pac-12 teams even reached out to him. Only two. And and so I, I don't know. I think that everyone in the Pac-12, if there's a West Coast guy that's available, should at least be touching base with them. Oregon State lost head-to-head with Jack Plummer at Purdue. Um, they got a good look at him up close. Maybe that's a guy that they make a phone call to. So I don't know. There's just so many quarterbacks out there that I think eventually the dominoes are going to fall where they fall. But it would blow my mind to see only two or three of these high-profile guys end up at Pac-12 schools when the Pac-12 obviously has the biggest need for better quarterback play. And there's so many good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 footprint with like in in the high school recruiting ranks, which is crazy. And they and they exit somewhere else either because the Pac-12 schools, like Ralph said, didn't offer them or or, you know, or they just, you know, thought some or other pastures were greener. But uh, we, we were talking about Washington. They got a new head coach, Caleb Caleb DeBoer, uh, from Fresno State. I think that this is a really good hire. I don't think it's splashy, but I do think that this is a three, four-year dividend, you know, hire. That it's going to pay dividends then as opposed to in in recruiting and all of that as those guys get on the field and all that. But I don't think that it has that splashy, you know, obviously Lincoln-Riley impact on recruiting. I love the hire. Do you guys like it? Kind of. Kind of. Just because of some of the uh, – it, it would have been interesting to know some of the other people that they were considering. Um, I had heard Matt Campbell, maybe. 
that, that that was potentially an option for them. My biggest issue with what some of the things they ran into with Jimmy Lake was one inexperience, which Kalen DeBoer has Jimmy Lake beat on that. He's at least been a, a, a head coach. Right. And I think in uh, has nine losses in his career as a head coach spanning across all divisions. He's had a lot of success. And the other concern that you had uh, with Jimmy Lake is a limited network uh, with which to bring in a staff. Kalen DeBoer also has kind of a limited network. He's already making hires of people that he worked with once at Indiana. Right. It's not like it's not like he has this huge network of coaches to 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 bring people in from to make sure that they're they're getting the best option. So those are my only two worries as far as energy and coaching prowess. I hate I would use that word anyway, I promise. Um, <laughs> I think that it's an excellent choice. I, I really do. I really do. And I think that high performing Mountain West coaches can be high performing Pac-12 coaches. Uh, how about you, John? Yeah, I think uh, that they weren't going to get Mac. I think we lost him. I thought he was just listening intently. No, no, I think like we're going <laughs> to frozen on the screen. <laughs> I don't think that they could have gotten. Mac I thought Campbell. I was just being very boring. <laughs> no, hold on. I don't think they could have gotten Mac <laughs> I see, Campbell. Or Dave I see Aranda. him on the screen, uh, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm not saying anything that he's identifying with right now." No, I was soaking it all in. So, John, the 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 boar hire. Where do you stand on that? Because I think it's you know, going to pay dividends later rather than splashy right now. Yeah, definitely not splashy. I mean, but nothing splashy compared to Lincoln Riley, right? I mean, true. that's, uh, that's overshadows everything. I think it was a good hire. I don't think they were going to get Matt Campbell, Dave Aranda, those kind of guys. I think they looked into it. Uh, and it was a tough supply demand situation. So then all of a sudden, if you're Washington, you think, well, we're not going to get one of those guys who has won mm-hmm. at the Power Five level, who who's uh, who's in that pool B of candidates, and I think you could argue DeBoer was probably uh, near the top of that list. I, I would be interested to see what might have happened um, with Justin Wilcox in that job if Cal hadn't had a game. It, it felt like it fit, right? Yeah, I think that it's possible that the fact you know Washington was making trying to make their hire. That week leading up to the Pac-12 championship game, Cal had a game. Their season, unlike everybody else, their season wasn't over. And I, I do wonder if that may have played a role in whether Wilcox uh, was interested at that particular point or not, or who else they you know may have uh, considered, but the timing didn't work. Well, there's one coach that wanted the job. And I think that it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on how things work out from here moving forward because Jay Norvell wanted to coach the Washington Huskies. And I think on his end, he definitely believes that it really came down to losing one close game to Fresno State head-to-head that would have made it more palatable for Washington fans to bring in uh, Norvell and that vertical passing game under Matt Mummy. Um, But he wanted the job. He wanted the job, and now he's at Colorado State, which many consider to be a step down talent-wise, but with great facilities. And if he turns Colorado State around after turning Nevada around, and Washington doesn't get the results that they're hoping for from Kalen DeBoer, then that's going to be something that Washington fans have to have to reconcile with. Yep. Um, and now that they've gotten Michael Penix Jr. as a transfer, I look at this and I'm like, whoa, because he's got two years of eligibility left. 
They have Sam Hewitt, who's a legacy kid there. He didn't look good in his one start against Washington State, but, I mean, he's a true freshman. Situations, weather was terrible, all of that stuff. But, like, Caleb DeBoer, his job is to win, and he doesn't have that attachment to Sam Hewitt. So, like, what once went from a fan base who was like, let's go, Sam, is like, nah, hey, hey. Sorry, Sam. I mean, like, how do you think that's going to play in the Washington fan base? Because we because we've seen it with other fan bases where legacy kids come in or it doesn't work out or something like that. And that creates another dynamic between the old regime, the new regime. Yeah. I think that Washington totally mismanaged their quarterback situation, especially with the Apple Cup, put Hewitt in a terrible spot. Um but I think that he probably recognizes and his family probably recognizes he could use a, a, at least another year of sitting and, and learning and watching. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how long Phoenix stays, right? Uh, oh, because it be, because he could be an NFL guy and just be gone in a year anyway. Who, who knows, right? Who knows? He's got to stay healthy. I think that's a big part of it, right? If you assume yep. he stays healthy, I think it really, you know, it's going to help Washington. He was really good two years ago when he had to bore running the Indiana offense, and he was healthy. He was one of the best 10 or 15 quarterbacks sure. in the country. I definitely was. I think it's a competition. Uh, you you know me. I don't like it when quarterbacks get recruited over when you when you set them up to be the future. I think there's a certain level of risk that you have to put into it and trust in order to get the full reward. I lobbied really, really hard against Anthony Brown being brought in over Tyler Shuck, and it's arguable – you know, kind of mixed results um, with that. But that's just the reality of college football. I would say that if you're Heward, I feel like you should go into it with the attitude that it's a competition. Uh, whereas I don't think you could have gone into it with that attitude if Jake Hayner had followed Kalen DeBoer to Washington, which didn't end up happening. I think that there was some thought that uh, Hayner was going to follow DeBoer and he ended up staying at Fresno State. Um, Phoenix is a great athlete. And he's a winner, and I think that it gives Washington the best chance to win to have these two competing for the job. But if I was anybody else in the Pac-12, I'd be breathing a sigh of relief that you're not going to have to go against Hayner. Yeah, <laughs> that – I mean, that – well, I mean, I don't know. He's really good, too, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, but now on to kind of signing day now. You have – and one of the things, John, that we wanted to talk – Talk, talk about quickly was Arizona State. Arizona State offered more kids. Probably it's not officially confirmed, but over four. How many route four hundred and thirty four hundred and thirty four high school? There's also like ten JUCO on top of that. Four hundred and thirty four twenty twenty two high school players got an offer from Arizona State, and they're going to sign less than ten today. I mean, is like how does that work? I mean, like all of the stuff that they did to get to this point blew it up. I can't think of a bigger. I mean, aside, I don't Including, want to use the word failure, but it that's a failure, right? No prospects, no high school prospects from either Arizona or California. I don't know what they're doing. We'll see. Right? They're gonna have to. <laughs> they're gonna have to hope the NCAA thing gets resolved soon. They're gonna have to hope the transfer portal is kind to them. Uh, it's a different way to recruit. I mean, a lot of, not a lot, but you know, there are schools that do 
offer, you know, three, four hundred, right? That's one way to go about it. Uh, and part of the reason that you offer is so that the kids will get on social media and say that you they got offered, and so it's publicity for your program. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. I, I think it's very, you know, it's kind of messy uh, and directionless at ASU right now. We'll see if it gets resolved. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Publicity works two ways, though. I can post on social media that I ate at Red Robin. But if I never go back to Red Robin ever again, then that tells you about my experience with Red Robin. Like, it's just <laughs> it's just it, it's one of those things where you have people like me who count these things and and it, it, it ends up being egg in your face to use an offer as an introduction instead of something that you're actually serious about. Uh, George, you've had David Shaw on talking about this exact thing. You've had Kyle Whitting Willing. God dang it. Kyle Wait. Whittingham. This is your fault, by the way. You've had you've had him on your show talking about, you know, the actual value of an offer and wanting it to mean something. Uh Chip Kelly only offers if it's committable. And uh, you know, for Arizona State to, you know, the whole point of bringing Herm Edwards in, according to Ray Anderson, was to appeal to California high school recruits who Todd Graham had left behind. They're gonna get zero in this class. They got less than five in the previous one. Unless in and, and everyone says, well, oh, we'll just build through the transfer portal. The thing about the transfer portal is you also have competition for those people too. It's yep. also a recruiting game as well. 
um, Ralph, can yeah. you pull up that David Shaw quote? And yeah. we and and John John, you can l- leave us with this. <laughs> um, David Shaw, who is Stanford's head coach, obviously. Stanford has been backsliding for how how many years would you would you say, John? I would say three. I mean, the thing is, last year they went four and two. So th- yeah, they but they still couldn't run the football. They struggled uh, in twenty nineteen for sure. So the last two full seasons have been bad, no doubt yeah. about that. Yeah, it, per- particularly at running the football. Like the last three have been bad at running. Yeah, even though they did go four four and two in the COVID year, but. uh but David Shaw made a quote about recruiting and I was like, and what's going on at Stanford. And I was like, I like David Shaw, but I don't know if he can see what's happening. Cause he's in there. You, you can read it to him, Ralph. Yeah. Uh, he said, um, this is him on teams within the conference that offered 300 plus scholarships to a single recruiting class. This is David Shaw. That's what we have been able to do really well. Our players that we recruit respect us partially because of our process and our honesty. We will offer the number of scholarships that we have. We don't over offer. So many of the potential recruits look at that and, and initially, of course, they're offended. But then they're like, how many of these offers do I have that aren't really committable offers? I may have 20, but that might really be eight committable offers. So they're not really offers at all. Back in the old days, we called those noffers, like non-offers. There's integrity that we believe in. There's a process. I call it the game show. We don't play the game show. Like who's going to take this first? You get an offer and you get an offer, but it doesn't really matter because the first three guys come. That makes no sense to me. So we operate with integrity and honesty. We're very upfront about our process and our student athletes that we recruit and their parents really appreciate that. And then he said today that, the, that last year was just in blip and aberration that everybody has bad years. And I was like, I don't know if he sees what everybody else sees. Yeah, no, it wasn't really an aberration because they also were not very good in 2019. Um, you know, the thing is, he's got an entirely different recruiting model. One that is shaped by his university. Uh, there's no Stanford can't offer 300 guys. They, they can't get that. I mean, (laughs) they can't even get to that number if they wanted to. No, that doesn't work. So, you know, he has to recruit differently, right? I mean, Arizona State and Stanford, you can't think of a more polar opposite recruiting approach that reflects each school. What? Stanford's got 6,000 undergraduates and ASU's got 70,000. Stanford offers 25 kids. ASU offers 400. I mean, it's kind of within the the construct of the university and the admissions process and all of it. And six years ago, Stanford couldn't take advantage of grad transfers. Right now, they can't take advantage of the transfer portal. The early signing day does nothing to help Stanford. It's it's all seemed to work to Stanford's disadvantage. No, it does. Stanford, Cal too is having trouble. Uh, Stanford is now finally able to offer early like they can and take commitments early, like the January or February of a kid's junior year. But that is just a very recent development because they were getting pummeled by the inability to make early offers. Oh, yeah, that was tough. So, yeah, Stanford has its own unique situations. But, uh, yeah, it's it's wild, dude. I, I don't know how they fix it. Like, I don't think that David Shaw can fix it unless he abandons what he's doing. Like, and it's because their defense, it was horrific this year. I mean, just absolutely horrific. 
I think that they're going to have to go back to some type of unique identity that makes them harder to prepare for. Because other than that, I don't really see what the option is for them moving forward. They have the, up to today, they have the best recruiting class in the Pac-12, but they don't get to hold on to those players for as long as other people get to hold on to those players. They're, they lose players every single year. And David Shaw told you, George, he told us, and he's told multiple people that that has to do with him looking these kids who are going to be juniors and seniors or essentially graduates in the eye and saying, if I see you as second string and you can be first string, go be first string elsewhere. But the truth of the matter is there's actually circumstances. I'm sure he'd appreciate the depth. Yes. Any, any college football coach would appreciate the depth. Because Stanford has proven that you're only a couple of injuries away from irrelevance. Dude, exactly. Because I want them to be good because, because I he don't. Hasn't been, um, because he hasn't been at 85 scholarships. I think, think he said at any point in time since he's been there. When, right. when other coaches are trying to find roster spots, he's like, yep, uh, we're, we have plenty. I don't want a Pac-12 without David Shaw. So I want them to figure this out ASAP. I think that that he is his his mind and his candor and that school Stanford are part of what make this a special conference. Absolutely. Totally. I'd rather they be good. Absolutely rather they be good, but I just don't I don't see it. What what do you think about the fact that some of these that most big time schools are signing full classes today, right? Yeah, And I know, and I will make the exception in the Pac-12 for Washington, who fired a coach, Oregon, They've, who yeah. who had an, or, like Oregon had the best class in the Pac-12. Obviously, when you have coaching change, that kind of falls apart a little bit. USC, they didn't have a coach for three months. So I will give a pass to Washington and USC and Oregon not signing a full class today, right? Yeah. But the only remotely even full class is Stanford with 21 commits right now, which they probably should sign all 21. And uh, they have signed 20 to this point. Stanford has currently signed more than Washington, USC and ASU combined. That's wild. And Utah has 17 commits. So depending on their scholarship situation, that may be the most that they could possibly sign. So aside from, and they're not ranked very highly in the overall, they're ranked like, what are they ranked? Uh, they're ranked 34th in the country, which is, which is not awful. You would, but Oregon is ranked with only 11 commits <laughs> one spot behind them. Um, so I would say that today, National Signing Day, that the winners out of the Pac-12 thought Stanford put together a decent class. You would have liked to see more four-star guys. But um, Arizona is doing a good job, I think. And with rebuilding this roster, I think UCLA has not, only having 12 commits so far. Not That is not the business right there. Not. Not only is Arizona doing a good job, they have letters of intent in from all 19 of their recruits. And to this point, they've kept uh, one of which it's it's frustrating enough that only two five stars right now are considering um, or or are likely to sign with the Pac-12 in uh, early signing day, at least according to rivals rankings. But uh 
Tedaroya McMillan, who's a five-star who's verbally pledged to Oregon, is taking his time right now to decide whether or not he might flip to Arizona. And so not only is Arizona doing a good job, they actually might pull one of the only two five-stars, according to rivals, that are going to sign in this early class. And even if they don't, they can't have them. Even if they don't, the fact that they're in the conversation is not bad for a 1-11 squad, George. No, you are 100% right. Um, yeah, so I think the recruiting obviously has to pick up in the Pac-12 over overall if we want to be the a premier conference. All right. Um, anything else on recruiting today? Yeah, I do want to say that probably the most impressive class thus far, as far as actually locking players in, um, is UCLA. Believe it or not, they have five, four stars that have all sent their letters of intent in, in, uh, Provo, Utah, tight end, Carson Ryan, um, Clint Stevens, an athlete out of, uh, Inglewood, Jaden Marshall, um, a wide receiver out of Stockton, California, Justin Martin, who, you know, um, the, the quarterback and Kamari Ramsey. And so, um, for all this talk about how Chip Kelly has his own method and won't bring in five stars cause he's busy doing sleep studies and hand measurements on two stars. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that, that's, uh, what has happened for them. And then Stanford actually, you know, did, lock in a very impressive slate of four-star recruits. Sam Roush, uh, Nashville, Tennessee tight end. They're always great with the tight ends. Um, Lucas Heyer out of Maplewood, Minnesota is a four-star offensive lineman. Uh, Teva Tafiti uh, out of Hawaii is a, is a four-star defensive end. They got some some big uh, offensive line beef in Fisher Anderson out of Franklin, Tennessee. They also have Ernest Cooper out of Arlington, Texas, and David Bailey, a four-star uh, linebacker out of Santa Ana. So the only thing I'd be worried about if I was Stanford right now is where some of that explosiveness uh, in as far as skill positions are going to come from because right now they're best locked in uh, they, they they have a couple of three-star wide receivers one out of Deerfield Massachusetts and another one out of Kansas City Missouri and it's always really cool to my one of my favorite things every year is to go through Stanford's signing class and see just where these people are coming from because they literally do span the nation and 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 that's one of the really fun things about what they're able to put together is they have people come from all over just to be part of that Stanford experience and you're also seeing that with with Oregon as well. I think uh, Oregon has also done a really, really good job of being a destination for recruits that you kind of leave behind where you're from to go build um, something else. But Utah and Colorado do that with like a certain sector of kids from maybe like Texas. Um, but I think that Utah and Stanford do, do a really good job of pulling from all corners of the country, uh, which is what Arizona State's going to have to do just also through the through the portal. Um, the, the, if I, if I was the, the team that I, I, I'd be concerned right now is, uh, they have a bright future under Lincoln Riley, but so far they only have five guys locked up at this point in time. One of which happens to be Relique Brown, um, who you can build an entire class around. Uh, but, but Lincoln Riley is going to have to do better because they're also losing a lot of uh, contributors to the portal. So some of these guys are going to have to play really, really soon. And to only have five guys locked in as of the early signing date, um, you're going to want to see that grow and grow rapidly. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Carl Durrell, 
tells the Pac-12 networks that he might have an offensive coordinator hired by the end of this week. Oof. Timing, um, timing couldn't be more not perfect. Right. It would, I think it would have helped to have one. I know that they got, uh, they got the majority of their class, uh, locked in. They did take two quarterbacks. Um, one of them from American Samoa, which is kind of fun. Um, and they did get four wide receivers, three of which out of Texas and one who actually lives right there in Boulder. So they actually were able to build an offensive recruiting class without having a coordinator in place. Now it's just, you're going to want that coordinator to be versatile enough to come in and not Work look at the, the guys that, yeah, because a lot of coordinators come in and they're like, I want my guys and uh, which I respect. But at the same time, Washington State just pulled that with an Arizona quarterback. You know how I feel about my Arizona quarterbacks. <laughs> and so for Adrian Lara um, out of uh, out of uh, Buckeye, like the Buckeye area in Arizona, for him to be committed for a year and then for him to not have a place to sign because he had shut his recruiting down this entire time is incredibly frustrating. Never shut your recruiting down, people. And this that's the a- that's a tough yeah. thing, because then maybe that thing that you've locked in will move on from you. And they don't have a quarterback currently locked up in this class. So it'll be interesting to see who they decide to go with uh, since they've moved on from Adrian Lara. Yep. You guys, I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. We had John Wilder. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Peace out. Catch you guys next week. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.